Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. This is your host, Agnes, and I'm recording this episode live in Brussels with Dennis Penel, the Managing Director of SIET and EuroSIET. Good uh, morning to you, or good afternoon, I don't know. Thank you very much for, for, for accepting to record this podcast. Um, Dennis is, uh, as I said, Managing Director of both SIET and EuroSIET, which is the International Confederation of Private Employment Services. Um, he has been named, uh, according to staffing industry analysts, as the, to be in the top 100 HR professionals globally, a real thought leader on the issue. And we are going to be speaking about his latest book, The Ego Revolution at Work. Um, Dennis has a long career already in uh, HR, communication, PR, staffing industry and uh, worked uh, at Manpower in France and Deloitte, then also with a stint in London. Um, so he wrote his book Travailler pour soi in 2013 and now the English adaptation, updated version, The Ego Revolution at Work. Thank you very much again, Dennis. And um, would you maybe like to tell listeners a little bit about yourself, your career, your role at SIET, and, and, and what is it that, that drives you and motivated you also to write this book? Well, first of all, thank you for the invitation to, uh, to speak. Um, well, looking backwards, you know, looking at my professional experience, I would say the red thread is about uh, business services, you know, providing services to companies, because indeed I've been working in the advertising industry, in the accounting and, and consultant industry, and now in the HR services industry. Uh, this one for the last 17 years, so quite a long time. But in it, the web thread is you know, the, the services that are being provided to other companies. And I think that's interesting because now my focus is really on work. In a way, I could sum up that my, uh, my work of today is work. You know, mm -hmm. This is the focus of my, uh, of my interest. And this is why, indeed, I've been publishing these two books, one in French and one in English, to look at the changing world of work. Because my conviction is that today we are less facing a job crisis than a work revolution. And this topic of the future of work now is on everybody's lips. And I think this is a good thing because, indeed, 
structural shifts are today is taking place in the labor market and we need as you know companies but also individuals but also policy makers really need to have a look at this because this is really a new paradigm you know taking place that means that we have really to change our views on, on, on the way the labor market is being organized on how our own work is being organized and, and actually this is something you could say about the, the, the very nature of work that is uh, changing today. Thank you. And uh, just also telling uh, listeners what I, what I uh, told you before we started recording, that I really, really enjoyed your book because it is incredibly balanced and always presents both sides of the argument. So it looks at um, the working nomads and uh, co-working, but also you look at um, long-term open-ended contracts and, and, and maybe what is um, you know, challenging for, for current employers and current projects and tasks now. So just wanted to, to already acknowledge that. So how you mentioned the future of work and, and we agree that we're going to speak about the new world of work because the future is now. How can anybody who is interested in this, policymakers, employers, civil society, how can they separate the fear-mongering, you know, the hype of, oh, robots are going to steal your jobs, or everybody is going to be self-employed? How can they uh, separate that from what is actually real? What is this organic transformation that you speak about in the book? Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words about the book. Indeed, you know, I'm not an academic myself. Huh? So I wrote the book wearing my hat as what I would call uh, an engaged observer. Because indeed, in my position as the managing director of SIET, I have a very good view of what's going on in terms of you know, labor changes from all around the world. Because I'm running this global association. I know and, and, and I'm listening to my members coming from all around the world. So indeed, the book is not a, a purely academic book. It's really also the view from a practitioner point of view. And because SIET is also very much committed to social dialogue, we have also you know, exchange of views with, with trade unions, for instance. And I really tried in, indeed into that book to reflect the different views and not only reflecting the views from the employers or from the other side. And the conclusions uh, of this assessment is that indeed the future of work is now. And it's at the same time, it's difficult to see it because it's, it's very, you know, all these changes are very dispersed and, and they are, uh, it doesn't come as a full, you know, uh, picture and the painting actually still being painted mm. uh, because small changes are taking place here and then. But when you try to put all the dots and to connect all the dots, then you start to see the overall picture. And this is, you know, humbly what I try to do in my book. And indeed, you have to differentiate between you know, what is being fashionable and hyped in terms of, uh, of terms like the gig economy, for instance. But besides that, you really see that we are facing massive shifts in the labor market. And for me, there are a few ones. The first one is really about the destandardization of the employment relationship. Uh, within the employment relationship, we used to have these you know, permanent, open-ended, full-time contracts being the norm. 
you can question whether this has really been the, the reality over the past because this was mostly for developed economies around the world and, and, and in the period of time that goes between I would say 1945 to 1980 um, where indeed in developed economies most of the people had a permanent full-time contract. Since the 1980s, what we have seen is that is the development of new forms of work within the employment relationship. For example, part-time work, fixed-term contracts, temporary agency contracts, indeed gaining importance. That was the first part of the, of the destandardization of the employment relationship. And now these forms of work, I would say, account for something like 15, maybe 20% on average in the European level and, and, and in developed economies. But now we are facing a, a new uh, area where the destandardization of work is outside the employment relationship with you know, the rise of the self-employment again. I say again because in the past, let's not forget that, and, and you know, until the, the, uh, the Second World War, a very significant part of the people were still self-employed, whether they were shopkeepers, uh, farm workers, uh, any other forms of work where they, they were independent, you know, they were not within this employment relationship. Mm. So uh, this is something I like to say that when you speak about the future of work, sometimes it brings us back to the, the past actually, so mm. it's back to the future, um, where indeed uh, a significant part of the working population will not be employed any longer, but will be self-employed. So probably in the future, people can be jobless, but not workless, because mm. indeed they will be working, but not via an employment relationship. And of course, this is creating new challenges, for, especially for policymakers, especially if you look at the way our social protection schemes are today being organized and funded. Uh, all our social protection schemes are today based on this employment relationship and this full-time employment relationship. Mm. And this is what we'll have to change in the future to develop new safety nets that will apply to all workers, whether they are being employed via an employment relationship and being wage earners, or whether they will be uh, self-employed. The idea would be to have you know, one system that would apply to every worker, because also transition between one employment status to another one will be more frequent. And maybe people will be working, I don't know, five years as a wage earner, but then they will create their own startup, for instance, so they will turn into self-employed, and then they will be back to a wage employment situation. So how do we organize these transitions, and how do we make sure that people, despite the fact that they will have different employment models, still have access to social protection, they can still build on their pension rights, for instance, uh, they can have access to unemployment benefits, even though they are, they are uh, uh, self-employed. So, indeed, the, the first major shift is about destandardization of the employment relationship, the end of the one-size-fits-all approach, and today the working population has never been so diverse and so well-educated at the same time. Uh, but 30 years ago, everything was simple. It was only about the male breadwinner model. Uh, women were not part of the labor market. The, 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 the overall population was very you know, homogeneous. 
And therefore, yeah, it, it was only one, one standard for one type of worker. Today, the situation is very different, and this is a very good thing. Women account for about half of the working population in developed economies. We have now people with disability, mm. willing and able to work. We have people coming from ethnic minorities. So the working population, once again, has never been so diverse. So we need to, let's say, to comply with this diversity by offering a larger variety of employment contracts and work relationship in order to accommodate with this new diversity in the labor market. Mm, absolutely. And I mean, so many wonderful pointers and, and uh, great depth of information there, which you just explained. And, and I, I could uh, ask a million questions, but one that, that strikes me because of this uh, one-tracked, uh, one-size-fits-all system dissolving in the diversity, I, I also wonder and, and feel that maybe we're moving away from a, a very kind of a patriarchal uh, system or situation where it, the employer was responsible for your advancement and, and you felt that within your full-time um, employment contract, it was the employer's duty or responsibility to train you, to, to motivate you, to keep you on board and and then um, 30 years later you retired with a party, a pendant and a, and a pen. Um, but now um, I think the responsibility is also very much shifting to the employers, employees, uh, workers, uh, giggers, however we want to call them, um, to keep up their skills, to um, find the niches for their own talents, to, to, to use their education, the very high education. And, and somebody previously on our podcast said that if you want to craft your own successful life and career, you will need to have a lot of awkward conversations. And, and I think it's very true because even if you have still now full-time employment but you would like to take on a teaching or any other other gig you, you need to address this issue with your employers and i think employers classic post-industrial employers and policymakers are not ready for these awkward conversations where they need to maybe share talent with other employers what what do you think about that no, no, I fully agree with your assessment. What, what we see is that the, the company of the 21st century is very much different from the company of the, of the last century. And, and today we speak about you know, extended companies because indeed the, the business world tends to refocus on its core business and then outsource or offshore anything that is not seen as being you know, the, the core business of the activities. And that means indeed that companies are also moving away to some extent from their employer responsibilities because they say, I don't have time, it's too complex, uh, I have to focus on really what I'm good at. So yes, I will invest less in the people. Also knowing that the, the turnover, the HR turnover is also increasing within mm. companies. Huh? And I just read a very interesting uh, research showing that you know, young people, the, the, the millennium generation, 
on, on average, 27% of them think that within the next two years, they will be gone and they will have moved to another company. So the loyalty of, so of, yeah. of people vis-à-vis -vis the corporate world has changed you know, massively, dramatically over the last uh, couple of years. So indeed, that means that the, the, the relationship between an employee and an employer is changing. It is less uh, uh, long-lasting than it was before. And therefore, indeed, yeah, companies have to, to reorganize also themselves. And that means, indeed, that as an individual, you have to bear more of the risk on your own shoulders than in the past. Indeed, in terms of, you know, how do I maintain my employability, how I develop new skills to adapt to the, to the changing world of work. So, yeah, that, that's a clear trend, again, because companies are less willing uh, or have less resources or less time to invest on people. But also from the individual's point of view, people also want to be, you know, uh, free at work and to be able to choose their own, you know, uh, to make their own decision. And for instance, when it comes to training, you know, vocational training in the past was very much the employer saying to the, uh, to the worker, well, I think you should do this kind of training and you should go to this uh, kind of, of training uh, program. And sometimes the worker was not really interested <laughs> into that training. And today it's really up to the, to, to the worker to say, no, I want to do this training. It might not have a direct impact on my day-to-day -day job, but because I'm thinking of what I will be doing within the next two years or five years, this is why I want to take, for instance, these, these uh, let's say, teacher lessons, you know, to become yeah. a teacher. Of course, your current employer will say, come on, I don't need you to become a teacher. You are a salesperson and so on. So this is why more and more, I think the decision should also be made to the individual. But that means that, you, again, you have to reorganize the way it is, it is funded and managed because indeed today, usually, you have access to training opportunities because you are being employed by a company who is contributing to kind of a training fund and there you can you know, get access to training via the system. So in the future, more risks and responsibilities indeed will lie on, on, the, uh, on, on individuals, on the shoulder of, of people. But this is why I think there will be a need for providing support to the individual. Um, and this is why, from my own belief, I, I strongly think that in the future, intermediation in the labor market will keep on increasing. Uh, there is some discussion on, on the disintermediation in the labor market. I don't believe in it. And actually, when you look at all these online talent platforms developing like uh, 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 Amazon Mechanical Turk, like Upwork, like TaskRabbit, this is still intermediation because you have this platform between you know, the supply and the demand of work. It's a new form of intermediation, but still it's about intermediation. And back to our industry, the, the, this employment and recruitment industry, we play yeah. this role of intermediation, of course, in the labor market. This role will have to change in the future, but there will still be a role for intermediation, and not only a role, but an increasing role for intermediation. Because indeed, people will feel more and more on their own. They will have, as I was saying, to bear more responsibilities on their own. And therefore, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there will be some organizations, some bodies, that will help them to adapt to this changing world of work, providing some more services, providing new safety nets to them to compensate for the fact that the people, the worker, will be moving from one job position to another one, from one company to another one, from one employment status to another one. And therefore, there will be a need for you know, an organization that could act as a stable home to provide from stability and to compensate for this you know, temporality in the labor market. Um, 
Thank you very much for, for clarifying this. And last year, uh, quite a few of the main thought-leading influencing magazines were bashing a little bit HR and, and the industry. No, uh, Harvard Business Review on their cover, is it time to blow up HR? So there are all these new startups, disruptors coming in. I, I think a lot of the automated, even LinkedIn and, and other platforms are trying to to uh, take on this role of intermediation, as you said, Xing, for example, uh, Monster and all these others. So how do you see what is now the, the biggest challenge for HR and the staffing industry and, and how could it be overcome? Well, my, my understanding was that the bashing was more on HR professionals working within companies mm -hmm. than the HR, you know, and the employment and recruitment industry itself. Because what we see indeed is that some companies are lagging behind in terms of adapting to this new reality of work. And just look at how difficult it is for them to manage these young generations at mm -hmm. work, you know, the millenniums. They don't understand how they react, how they behave. Uh, they don't understand why they are leaving after just being there three months. Uh, so there is, I think, a misunderstanding also, or lack of understanding between the youngest generations and, and the, 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 the corporate world today. And again, if you look at surveys and you have you know millions of them on, on what the millenniums are expecting vis-a-vis -vis work and vis-a-vis -vis the, the corporate world, yeah, you see there is a huge gap between the expectations and what yeah. the companies of today can, can offer. So I think indeed there, there is a big issue for HR directors within companies. But this is also why, probably, well, part of the explanation why companies also more and more tend to outsource their HR management. And this is what we do more and more uh, as an industry, uh, whether it is called, you know, uh, uh, RPO, BPO, so recruitment process outsourcing or business process outsourcing. Indeed, companies are saying, Again, I want to focus on my core business. The HR management of my staff, the recruitment uh, processes I have to, to do, I don't have time to do it. I am not good enough to do it. So let's use specialized you know, professionals to do that. Mm -hmm. And therefore, companies more and more tend to outsource their own HR management policy. Mm -hmm. And this is what we, we can do. And this is a big new opportunity for our industry, indeed, to support companies helping them to manage their HR uh, policies in terms of you know, recruitment, but also in terms of coaching, in terms of uh, uh, motivation for, for their own staff. So big opportunity for our industry, because we are entering also a world of what some, some uh, gurus call the, the world of uh, hyper-specialization. Mm -hmm. And again, companies are using more and more business services because they want to have experts because they don't want to spend time and energy doing this themselves because they don't see the added value. So they prefer to pay an external service you know, company to deliver the, what they are expecting rather than investing themselves. And that's a new reality. And, and this is why I, I'm very optimistic about the future of our industry because I think, as I was saying before, intermediation in the labor market will increase in the future for sure because labor markets are, are becoming more and more complex and what do we deliver as a service we are there actually to simplify the complexity and we like to use this word simplexity mm -hmm. this is what we offer to companies simplexity simplifying the complexity but we are also offering to the individuals some more protection 
safety nets. Uh, we act in, in a way as you know carrier agents, huh? like you know the, the most of the actors of the professional uh, athletes. They have their own agents to drive them uh, through their career. This is exactly what we do for 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 individual. So. Again, a clear world for, for labor market intermediaries uh, in the future, I'm sure about that. Of course, we see new competition taking place. Huh? You mentioned several job boards or uh, these online talent platforms that are developing. This is competition, but this is also some tools we can use ourselves to improve the services we deliver to our customers. Mm -hmm. And actually, if I look at my members, most of them have developed their own online talent platforms mm -hmm. uh, because it's a new way to reach and to source candidates, but also to provide workforce solutions to uh, to companies. Yeah, and and you mentioned talent, and this is going to be the currency of the new world of work. Um, I, I spoke yesterday with uh, Professor Kerry Cooper, and I was because you know I, I have this also I, I believe you too this attitude of social justice of poly, the right place for policies legislation I was asking him what does he think will be the tipping point for for companies to wake up to the new reality of, of the labor market and he said it will be um, competitive edge that they will get through talent and and that is going to make everybody reconsider how they approach recruitment because the right programmer with the right algorithm will make you millions or not so so this this is going to be i guess uh, some of some of these key issues yeah we're back to the topic of the war for talents i, yeah. I don't like this expression because in any war as you know there are uh, damages and, and casualties but indeed there will be more fierce competition uh, for, uh, for companies to, to attract to retain the right talents indeed uh, at the same time again thanks to this new technology IT IT systems the, the, the world of work has become also global so indeed you know that's something we, we have to keep in mind you know 30 40 years ago half of the working population was out of reach huh? because either they were part of the uh, former USSR, so indeed they were not part of the market economy, and the same for India and China. And now these two countries open to the, uh, to the overall world, uh, they are part of the market economy. That means actually that the, uh, the global working population has doubled over the last 20 years, thanks to China, India, and the former Soviet countries uh, joining the, uh, the worldwide labor market. So it's so, very high, incredibly highly skilled Workforce yeah. as well. They absolutely, have, yeah. absolutely. Alors, you can say that in some countries, indeed, the, the people, and look at India, for example, or, or China, the number of, uh, of uh, engineers being trained every year is amazing. At the same time, we, we still see that these people have difficulty to understand the culture of working for a multinational mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. They are not yet fit to really understand how a multinational company works. And, and the, the working with different you know, people, uh, uh, working in a multicultural environment, mm -hmm. this is something not that easy for them. So they have the right diplomas, but they still need to work mm -hmm. on the soft skill, huh, mm -hmm. which is important uh, today. But indeed, yeah, a, a new global labor market, meaning new opportunities for people also, but also for, for companies indeed. But how do you... Um, how do you make sure that this uh, this is working uh, as well as it should? That that's a big issue for for policymakers. What we see also is that 
you know, in the past, it was again easy. Eh? Everything was easy in the past. When you were uh, a government, you just had to regulate your labor market at the national level, and that was it. Now, again, with the uh, outsourcing of companies, with the use of online talent platforms, we see that the national level is no longer relevant to, to organize the labor. And, and the big topic now, as you know, is the management of global supply chain. But also, okay, you are a US-based company, uh, and you're assigning a worker based in India to implement a new project, what are the employment and working conditions that should apply to this uh, Indian worker? Mm-hmm. Of course, he's based in India, but he works for a US-based company. So we see more and more, as I was saying, that the national level is no longer relevant. We need now to look at at least the European level, but you could even question whether the European level is still relevant. Huh? Mm. Uh, for instance, okay, let, let's say we want to organize and to regulate the Uber activities or the, uh, again, the Upwork mechanical yeah. Turk uh, 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 online talent platforms. doesn't make sense to do that at the national level or no. even the European level because then they will use you know, the different countries to operate. Yeah. So we really need also to move in terms of the governance of work to the global level. Mm, absolutely. Um, before we go to our last question, uh, would you like to tell listeners maybe the website or your Twitter where they can reach you if they would like to get in touch with you? Well, uh, yeah, with pleasure. As you know, I, I, I'm very, uh, uh, at the same time, curious, but also excited about this topic of the, of the changing world of work. Huh? So this is why I created a, a Scoopit page. Uh, which is called The New Reality of Work, where you can find any very interesting articles I've spotted on, on, on the web, and it's uh, free access. Then, of course, you can uh, follow me on my Twitter account, which is uh, Penel Denis, or Dennis. Um, I have also a blog, it's only in French for the time being, which is called La Nouvelle Réalité du Travail on uh, WordPress. So, yeah, different tools to use. Uh, but again, we are also living in a multi-channeling world. So if you want to be heard, you have to use all the different tools that uh, are available. Uh, books are fine, but yeah, you also need, of course, to use the, the, the social media. But I think this is also a great opportunity of the new technologies that now you can access you know, many different peoples all around the world using uh, the, the different, uh, different tools. Uh, I think that's great. And it's also amazing to see how much information is available on, on the web. I mean, you can you know, spend hours or days you know, just uh, um, uh, browsing the, the internet, but it's also you know, a characteristic of the new uh, of our society of today. Huh? The amount of information available, yeah. of course, you have to sort it out, but that's amazing. But again, this is why I created this page on Scoopit and my, and my blog to really try to to draw attention on the most interesting pieces of information when it comes to the changing world of work. Yeah, and that's how we met, on Absolutely. Twitter. Exactly. Yes, we yes. met on Twitter yeah. and then we met in real life in, yeah. in Paris by tweeting to you mm. where we were in the same room and then we agreed to meet mm. up. So I, I think that's that's a fantastic opportunity to yeah. to meet and have, have really valuable conversations like this. But I think again, huh, this is, it shows that today you can use different tools, and you know some people are complaining, saying ah people are not meeting physically any longer, and yeah. so on. Yeah, I do not agree with that. First of all, I'm optimistic by nature, but all these people fearing this new world of work, and it will only bring you know bad news and, and bad stories. No, it will create new challenges for sure. 
But keep in mind that when we moved, you know, from uh, well, at the time of the first industrial revolution, where people moved from, you know, working in the countryside, in the in the farms, they were self-employed and they they were brought to uh, to uh, cities, they were put to factories, they had, you know, an employment relationship. At that time, it was very much criticized. Also, huh? people are saying, "Well, what are you doing to these people? They are exploiting the people, and so on." And we are facing today a new industrial revolution. So this is what we are facing: new situations requiring new solutions. But you cannot try to apply to keep on applying the solutions of the past to solve a problem of today. So that's yeah. why we have to be open-minded and, and creative. Absolutely. So our last question that is always the same. Dennis, if I could ask you to give one advice to a CEO to adapt his or her company to the new reality of work, world, of work, the new reality of work, what would that advice be? Well, being very humble, huh? I think a key point for, for a CEO of a company of today is really to put in place uh, policies to manage an integrated workforce. What do I mean there? If that if you go and visit a plant, you know, you will see many different people working in the same environment, but having different working and employment conditions, because you will have permanent full-time workers, you have temporary workers, agency workers, you will have consultant suppliers working within the same premises, but again, being employed but with different conditions and you will have also some people you won't see they will still be working for this company but they will be working you know remotely uh, online or whatsoever and i think this is a big challenge for for a ceo of today is to understand how his workforce is being organized mm. uh, how do you make sure that these people having different employment and working conditions still work with the same you know focus and working for the same goal, despite the fact, again, that they can be remote, they can be dispersed, they can be diversified, I said. Mm. But so to put in place with integrating workforce solutions, I think this is a key component for a CEO of today, how to manage this dispersed workforce, how to make sure that everybody is working in the same direction to reach the same goal yeah. and having a clear view on that. Yes. Sometimes when you ask you know, a CEO, how many people work for your company? very easy they will say okay i have 1000 permanent employees yeah but that's not it you have much more people working for you and then when you ask okay what's the full picture then to get a clear answer is, is much more difficult so that would be my advice to a ceo really try to implement integrated workforce solutions looking at the diversity of the people working for your company mm, absolutely and and i think also not to neglect so you talk about aligning the workforce, the, 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 the entire workforce uh, to the purpose and making sure that also the culture is there for these people to feel also committed and, 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 and really feel motivated to, to push further on that uh, uh, towards that uh, common purpose as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would say every people working for the company should be seen as, you know, a real contributor. And there is no second class, you know, worker, even if you're a temporary agency worker, the added value you provide to the company is probably as important as your, your, your COO or your, your chief information officer whatsoever. So 
try not to look at the different employment relationships or labor contracts you have, mm -hmm. really look at the added value provided by each of your employees or workers, again, whatever their employment relationship is or their working conditions are. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. It has been a real pleasure and, and very, very informative. And we will put all your contact details and the, the Scoopit page as well as the link to the book on the show notes of, of the podcast. And I wish you all the best of success with your future work. Well, thank you very much. It's been also a pleasure. And indeed, yeah, the future of work is already there. So let's work all together to make sure that it is uh, uh, the best place as possible. Thank you.